So I love New Year's. I'm one of those people that looks forward to this day every single year. And part of that reason, for those of you who don't know me, is I lived in Japan for about 15 years. And in Japan, the New Year's holiday is a little bit different than what it is here. For example, here we celebrate our birthday on our given birthday. In Japan, everybody celebrates their birthdays on the first of the year. So you do it all together. It's a huge celebration. In addition, there's still the New Year's Eve celebrations, but the bigger moment of New Year's is really the morning. And so one of the traditions is to wake up early enough, which is why there's not the big parties the night before, to wake up early enough to go see the first sunrise of the year. So I was raising my kids over there, and every New Year's morning we would bundle up, and we lived by the water, so we'd go down by the coast and just look across the water towards the mountains, very similar to here, and we'd look across the water, and there'd be about 200 or so other people around there with us, and there would be this incredible stillness where you're sitting and you're waiting, and you start to see the slow color of the sun peeking over the mountains. And then there's just that little bit of the crescent starting to come over. And then it gets brighter and brighter. And suddenly you've got this sun popping up over the mountains. And everybody is like, oh, that's awesome. And they would say in Japanese, sugoi, which means like wonderful and awesome and terrible and all of these things. It's just something that took your breath away. And I would actually pause for a minute and be like, you do realize this happens every day, right? <laughs> We get to see this every day. But there was something special about gathering in community And looking at this time where we can step aside and look at things fresh, look at them new. It's a bit of a chance to recharge. I love this idea of checking in, whether it's New Year's or a different part of the year, an annual time where you just pause and you check in and you see how things are going in your life. You know that phrase, the days are long but the years are short? I think when we don't take time to stop and pause, the years just start to blend together. But if we create that rhythm where we're able to stop and pause, it allows us to adjust what we want to tweak or fix or build in our lives. So I'm going to start us this morning with some scripture. You'll notice in your bulletin also you have a little section for writing and taking some notes. Um, but let's go ahead and start. Just listen to these words. This is from the message version of the Bible. Matthew 11, verses 27 through 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So good. Have you ever prayed one of those prayers that's kind of, be careful what you ask for? It's like one of those prayers that you're bold enough to ask, but you're a little scared of what might happen if it actually comes through. Yeah, I see a couple nods out there. I did this a couple of years ago, and 
I had this prayer on my heart, and it was, Lord, give me the desire to desire you. How can I put my desire for you ahead and above of everything else? That's a very scary prayer. And it's one of those life-changing type moments. So for the past two years, I've been focusing on positioning myself to be in the power and presence of Jesus as much as possible. So what I'm going to share with you is a mashup of my own reflections as well as things that I've picked up on this journey from people that I respect, whether it's a sermon or a book that I read or experiences that I've had with people around me. I started this journey of trying to find more ways for the power and presence of Jesus to be evident in my life. And here's what happened about six months into the journey. I began to dig into what it really means to desire God. And then I began to pray even more deeply into that big, opening, life-changing prayer. God, give me the desire to desire you. Let me covet spending time with you as much as I do with my friends and my family, and more. This took me down a path towards spiritual formation. So it wasn't really a new path for me or for probably many of us in the room. But if you're not familiar with that phrase, spiritual formation is really a series of different activities or actions that you can take that draw you closer to God. So different disciplines. That's like a Cliff Notes nutshell version of spiritual formation. But just to get us all on the same page there. So this time when I was focusing on spiritual formation, it was a little bit different for me because of that prayer. It wasn't as much about curiosity, about what are all of the things that are out there, but it was more out of determination. How can I dig into these things so that they can draw me closer to that prayer that I was praying? And we tend to get really serious when we hear those words, spiritual formation. But I don't actually think that that's God's intent. I do think that is really important, but we were also designed, we were created to have joy, to be filled with joy, to love and to play. We also can tend to think that spiritual formation itself, the activities, that those things are doing the work for us, but they're not. In fact, Richard Foster puts it like this. He says, we must remember that the path does not produce the change. It only places us where the change can occur. We must remember that the path doesn't produce the change. It only places us where the change can occur. See, a lot of times I think we tend to think that we can do this. It's all about the doing. But that's not the point. The point is that we were created to worship, to love, and to serve God. And yet, we, I can say I, put a lot of emphasis on the serving and on the doing side of things. So how do we reconcile the doing of spiritual formation with letting go and worshiping? How do we find that sweet spot? right between those. John Calvin talks about crafting a rule of life. That sounds very serious. It's basically a pattern that creates a rhythm for prayer and worship and study. I tend to think the phrase rule of life feels eh, a little bit legalistic, not fun. So that's why 
when I read that scripture earlier in Matthew, I found a space that felt like home to me. Let's take a look at that scripture again. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me and get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me, and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's consider, over these next few minutes, what it means to find a rhythm of grace in your life. Holding on to that thought, and then I'll share with you what that has meant for me. See, when you enter this space of spiritual formation, it really means you start to bear your soul. I discovered this when I started looking at and recrafting what my rhythms of grace were. And I'll share what this journey has looked like for me. Keep in mind, there are struggles. There are things that have worked, and there are things that have not worked. Overall, it's because I'm human. It's inconsistent, it's messy, and I'm always a work in progress. Amen? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so before I start, I want to share one other important part of this framework that I use. Because this is sacred ground. What I'm not talking about is New Year's habits. What I'm not talking about is New Year's resolutions. Anytime that we're approaching the Father, this is sacred ground. It's why I wanted us to start this moment singing, holy, 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 because we're approaching the Father. So there's four different experiences as we step into these areas that I think can really help you figure out the motivation, the why behind what you're doing. There's holy expectancy. This is expecting God to move. It's expecting God to be present. And it's expecting God to be God. And that's a very short little phrase that packs a big impact. How often do we step back and just expect God to be God? Expect him to be bigger than anything we can ask or imagine. Then there's holy dependency, knowing that we rely on him for everything. He is the vine, we are the branches. We need him to nourish our souls. Holy obedience means stepping out to follow him in everything that we do. And holy confidence means fully living into the life that Christ called us to. In Hebrews chapter 4, I put this in your bulletin because I think it's so important to remind ourselves to have this holy confidence. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We are who we are because of whose we are, and we have that confidence to take us forward. So you'll see how all of these things play into the journey and how they helped me position or reposition myself on this path. And in this, I'm also going to share with you the things that haven't worked, because we learn from those as well. So we're going to take a look at my work-in-progress rhythm of grace. And I'm not sharing this with you because I have it all figured out. I'm sharing it with you because it is a work-in-progress. And I'm putting myself on a path where change can occur. So I'm going to encourage you also to take out your bulletins and on that note side where it has the 
four different holy sections, as you're listening to something, if it just strikes you as something that you want to dig into later, write it into that quadrant, that area that it makes sense to you. And I'm going to spend more time on the daily than I do looking at like weekly and monthly, because as I said earlier, the days are long, but the years are short. So let's look at some of the incremental things that we can do. When I started digging into this path, I started reading different books, listening to podcasts, listening to sermons, and just researching. And a name that kept coming up over and over is good old Dallas Willard. And he really is an amazing source of truth to read. And I watched a video that, I think it was from like the 80s, it was like, woo, flashback. Um, I watched a video of him being interviewed, and he was talking about how he starts his day. And I thought, okay, this is really intriguing, because he would wake up in the morning, swing his legs to the side of the bed, sit up tall, and go, the Lord is here, like in the morning. Okay, so this is where my warped sense of humor comes in, because I'm like, let me play that out. I usually get up between 4.30 and 5, try to sneak out, you know, quietly get to the kitchen and have my cup of coffee, and I thought, what if I wake up at 4.30, I roll over, sit on the edge of the bed, and I'm like, the Lord is here! And Barry's like, and I'm awake. <laughs> I thought it was just such a great way. But even though I joke around about this, this made me really start to look at how I start my day and how I can put God in the front of my mind before I get up and do anything. How do I acknowledge God in the beginning of my day? Another phrase that you hear come up quite often when we talk about spiritual formation is quiet time, right? So what I've noticed with quiet time is people tend to fall into two different camps on this one. You are either like, ah, quiet time, I love this, or you hear the words quiet time and it sounds like time out. And it's not something that you want to do. And you're fidgety. And you're like, this is not working for me, but I'm supposed to do it. So why doesn't it feel good? So let's go back to the fact that our father loves us. Have you ever spent time with a kid who did not want to be around you at that moment? That's not really fun. But have you spent time with a kid who did want to be spending time with you? It's a different experience. Think about the time that we approach with the Father. If quiet time in the traditional sense feels like a punishment to you, then maybe there's a different way to do it. Maybe it means you go for a walk. Maybe it means you go for a run. Maybe you're a crafter and you do something with your hands because keeping your body busy allows your mind to be free. Sometimes I think it's okay to break the rules because if it draws you closer to God, it's a good thing. So finding your way to dig into and explore, what does this term mean? What's important is that we need time to be still before God. I discovered this even more intensely when I went through a program that was an Ignatian spirituality program, and it's called Spiritual Exercises in Everyday Life. And the program itself is nine months long. And in that program, you're supposed to dedicate an hour of your day to sit in silence with God. Yeah, it's hard because in silence doesn't mean read a book for an hour or watch a TED talk, a Christian TED talk, you know, or listen to a sermon. It meant sit in stillness before God. And it was really hard. 
And some days it, I would be so fidgety for like the entire 59 minutes and it'd be like, quick, look at my, okay, 36 minutes left. Okay, and just sit. But those days were worth the work because then there were days a few minutes in or several minutes in where I would start to feel God's presence. And I started to learn more of what that felt like. And there were times where, even though you're not supposed to like read, I would have my Bible nearby because every now and then a verse would come to mind. And you're like, I just want to look at that again, make sure I got the words right, just rest on it for a minute. And so there was one morning where a verse from James was coming to my mind. And I thought, okay, I just want to read that. So case in point, having a a real Bible is really great for this because this wouldn't have happened if I'd been on my phone. And I love having my Bible on my phone, but you'll see what I mean. I pick up my Bible and I start to thumb towards James and it opens and I'm like in Habakkuk because that happens. <laughs> and I look down and I see a verse in chapter one, verse five, and it says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And it is not an exaggeration to say at that moment I was stunned into even more silence. Because I thought, God, that's what you're doing in my life right now. Sitting here with you every day, meeting you here in this space. I want to be filled with wonder and amazed. And I want to believe that you are doing a work in me that I would not believe if you told me about it. It was an incredibly grounding moment. And it's a verse that I've carried with me since then. There was another moment when I was sitting and I was thinking about the time where Moses was leading the Israelites out and they were approaching the Red Sea. And the people are getting a little bit nervous, understandably. And Moses says to them, you just need to be still. The Lord will fight for you. And I thought, I want to read that. So I opened up my Bible and again, stopped at a different spot. This time it was a later part in Exodus. And it was in chapter 33 where Moses is talking with God. And he says to God, if I have found favor in your sight, teach me your ways that I may know you and continue to find favor in your sight. And I stayed there, and I rested on that verse. And that verse is actually a verse that I pray periodically throughout the week. God, if I've found favor in your sight, just stop me in all my busyness. Show me your ways. What would you do right now? Help me to know you so that I can continue to find favor in your sight. See, these verses became very alive to me. But this wouldn't have happened if I hadn't put myself on the path that produces change. They wouldn't have become such grounding verses for me. Another daily rhythm that we look at is prayer. So again, in my digging into this, I was reading the book of Daniel, and there's the spot in Daniel where he prays three times a day, and I thought, oh, I'm a scheduled type person. That sounds pretty good. So I set an alarm on my phone. At that time, I had a watch connected to my phone, and it was all, you know, dialed in. So I set my little prayer alarms and I was working in an office at that time. And let me just tell you, it was the most annoying thing I've ever done. It did not work for me because it seemed like every time that I thought was a good time to schedule time to step out and pray was the worst possible time. And I thought, okay, well that didn't work. So I'll try something else. 
I had a commute. I was the only person in my car. I was not carpooling at this time, thank goodness, because this would have been really weird. But I thought, I'll try to pray out loud in my car. Why not? Because when you're praying in your head, sometimes your mind wanders, right? It happens. So I thought, if I pray out loud, I'll be able to like really focus on the words I'm saying. I felt like a crazy person. Like That lasted about 10 minutes. And I'm like, nope, not going to do that one either. But the next thing that I tried really was a big one. And it's interesting just how God orchestrates time together because what Nate said earlier today about the word selah, about pausing, ties directly into what I'm going to say right now. Transitions. We have transitions throughout the day. Whether you're going from a meeting to a meeting or you're going from work to home or you're going from home to errands. Every time you leave one place, and then prepare to go to another. And how often do we just rush right through those? Which doesn't do the previous thing any justice, and it doesn't set you up well for the next thing. So praying in transitions gives you the space to honor yourself. I think, honestly, it makes me a better wife. If I finish my work day, I pray on that day, I thank God for the work that he gave me to do, and then I ask him, prepare my heart, posture me for my evening together with my husband. It's a really intentional step that makes a huge difference. And I think all of these daily rhythms fall in a mashup between holy obedience and holy expectancy. Because we know these are things that we should do. We want to get them to things that we want to do. And when you step into that space, then you're stepping into holy expectancy and you're expecting God to move. So monthly, or weekly, sorry, skip right to that one, weekly... We have church. And I'll say, when I started thinking about coming to church under the umbrella of holy expectancy, church changed for me. I loved coming to church before. I love our community. I love getting to see everybody. But when I started thinking about church and expecting God to do something every single time I showed up and looking for it, it changed. It changed how I interacted with people. It changed how I felt during worship. It changed how I listened to the sermon. It changed how I met with people after church because every moment I'm expecting God to be God and creating that space, this space, to have that holy expectancy in my life. We also have our kinfolk groups. It's a great example to think of. We gather in community, and that's a wonderful thing to do. We get to spend time with each other, and that is such a blessing. But what if you approached your kinfolk group or your women's group or your gathering of people differently? What if you said, God, this is your time, and I'm going to open my eyes and my ears, and I'm going to look for different things. I'm going to look for the words that you want me to see and hear. I'm going to consider our interactions differently as we sit across the table from each other. And I'm going to expect you to be God. I am going to look for those moments. And then there's Sabbath. Yes, that's weekly. And it's not a word that we use very often. And I find that when I say the word Sabbath to people, the first thing that people say is usually, oh, that's so Old Testament, right? But thou shalt not kill. Nobody says, that's so Old Testament. Thou shalt not bear false witness. That's not so Old Testament. Rest has been given to us by the Father. It is a rhythm that he commands us to do. And yet, 
we've created a culture where we're so, so busy that it's the only commandment that we brag about breaking. It's like, I'm so busy, I haven't had time to take a break for like three weeks. I don't have time to sit and still. I've got to go do this thing. I've got so many things pulling at me that I can't rest. Finding that space to rest. And maybe Sabbath means there's an evening that you just unplug. Maybe it's a day where you unplug for the whole day. Maybe it's time where you just gather with community and have fun and enjoy each other's presence. But find and explore, I would encourage you, to look at what does Sabbath mean for you. And then there's monthly, which I think really does fall into this idea of holy dependency, because you can set aside a day, an afternoon, an evening, and say, this is a time that I want to just retreat. I want to use this as my time to study. I want to learn. Or you could set a day or a half a day and say, I'm going to set this time aside to fast. And I know for me, nothing makes me feel more dependent than having no food. (laughs) And I'm really hungry. And it reminds us, it's a physical reminder of how we need God to nourish us in our lives. So is there a monthly rhythm that you can put in place that just reminds you, serves you as a, serves for you a reminder of how we rely on God? how we have this holy dependency on him. And then annually, that's what we're doing right now. We're stopping for a moment and we're assessing. And maybe that's on New Year's for you. Maybe it's on your birthday. It doesn't really matter, but taking that checkpoint to just step away from everything, do an assessment and celebrate it. Look at what worked. Look at what's drawn you closer to God and then consider what are the things that I can do next year if my goal at the end of the year is to be closer to Jesus now than than I am now. What are the things that I want to do? So annually just creating that space to review, to look forward. So here's a question. I've talked about these things and none of them are probably very new. So why are they so hard? Why is it tough to create, recreate, discipline, put ourselves in these spaces? I've heard people say that they can't wait to spend an eternity with Jesus, but it's hard sometimes to spend five minutes with him, right? So how do we reconcile this? I'll ask it a different way. If Jesus were standing in front of you right now, just imagine that, he's going to look different to all of us. Jesus is standing in front of you right now. And he were to say to you, Gail, I want to meet you for coffee. You tell me the time, you tell me the place, and I will be there. And we're going to do that every day. Would you go? Uh Uh-huh. Right. It feels so obvious. Of course we would say yes. Of course we would say yes. So why is this so different? I'd propose that it actually comes down to faith. If you listen to the words in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen exactly. And isn't that what we just talked about? The conviction of things not seen. So I'm not saying that we don't have faith, but I'm suggesting that things create barriers that make it harder for us to live our faith out. In Romans 8, Paul tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I believe that is true. But I also believe that there are things that will try. 
See, here's the deal. I don't think when the enemy tries to separate us from God, I don't think he's going to do it in the obvious ways. Think about it. When we have something catastrophic happen, that usually draws us closer to God. I think the enemy is much more subtle than that. I think it's the little things, the pings for our attention, the desire to stay busy all of the time, the things that become all-consuming so that we don't have time to rest and recharge and be renewed. I don't think having faith is the issue. I think the issue is getting through the noise to live into our faith, and that's where the work really is. I'm going to look at a couple examples from Scripture where we see faith being lived out and where people overcame extreme examples of noise. And despite the fact that these are physical things, I want to encourage you to go a little deeper as you listen and think to yourself, what type of healing in my life am I looking for? So the first story is from Mark chapter 10. Blind Bartimaeus, sometimes referred to as Blind Bart. So he's sitting on the side of the road and Jesus is walking with a huge crowd around him. And as he's sitting there, he sees that Jesus is coming closer and he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd keeps going and Jesus keeps going. And so he says it again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd keeps going and it's louder and louder. And he says it again. And finally, Jesus stops for a minute and he says, call him to me. And so Bartimaeus comes over to him and he says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus says to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. So here's my question for you. When you hear that story, what are things in your life that are preventing you from seeing what Jesus wants you to see? What are things in your life that are preventing you from seeing what Jesus wants you to see? In Luke chapter 5, there's the story about the man who's paralyzed. And again, Jesus has a crowd, and he's in a building. And so this paralytic has his friends with him who are going to take him to see Jesus, but they get there and the crowd is so thick that they can't actually get through the crowd and get their friend to the feet of Jesus so that he can heal him. So what do they do? I don't know, the same thing you and I would do. They go to the side of the building and climb up it, because that makes sense. So they carry him up the building onto the roof, and then they lower him down until he's at the feet of Jesus. And then here's what happens next. When Jesus saw their faith, he turned to the man and he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. When I think about this part, I think about how we approach intercessory prayer. How deep is our faith when we're praying for people? Is our faith deep enough so that what happens might not actually even be the thing that we were asking for. They wanted to see the man be healed, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Do we have the faith and trust to know that when we pray that way to the Lord, he's going to deliver the response that he knows is right for that person? 
I'm going to encourage you to rest on this question. What can you do to strengthen your faith as you pray for others? What can you do to strengthen your faith as you pray for others? In Matthew chapter 9, there's a woman who has been discharging blood for 12 years. So I'm just going to say, even right now, that's a really awkward, uncomfortable thing to say. Imagine what that felt like in that time. Because in that time, for her, that meant she was a social outcast. She was unclean. She was not allowed to be out in public. So think of that when you hear this story. As Jesus is walking through the crowds again, and again, it's very, very crowded, and she has spent all of her life savings going to physicians, trying to be healed. And she's working her way through the crowd. So let me just point out, that would be completely socially unacceptable. That would be dangerous for her to be doing this. She's going through the crowd, and she's pushing against people because she is so desperate to reach Jesus that at this point she is willing to take that risk. And so she gets all the way up to Jesus. She touches the hem of his garment And she feels in that instant that she's healed. And Jesus stops. And he says, who touched me? And she doesn't answer. Because she's terrified. And nobody answers. And the disciples say, there's a lot of people around here. Somebody probably just bumped you. And Jesus said, I felt the power leave me. And then she says, it was me. And he says to her, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Can you imagine the courage it took her to raise her hand and say, it was me? The risk that that was. And then finally, in John chapter 11, right after Lazarus has died, Jesus has word of Lazarus' death. And he comes and he goes all the way to meet with Martha and with Mary. And Martha comes rushing out, and she says, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection, and I know that anything that you ask God, he will do. But Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Every time I read that in scripture, and I get to those words, it always makes me stop. And I imagine thinking through all of the promises that Jesus has made, that the Lord has made. And I ask myself, can I look at all of those promises and ask myself that same question? Do we believe this? What if we approached our time with God through all of those different rhythms that I spoke about with the idea of Jesus asking this question? I am here with you. Do you believe this? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And as I do, I'm going to ask you to do something. 
Take out your bulletin, your notes, whatever you're writing on, and jot down something that came to your mind today that you want to walk away with, that you want to process a little bit more. And here's the thing. There's a chance that you're somebody who's more of a processor, so that's not in your mind right now. You're not there yet. Good news, bad news. The good news is just write the word nothing. That's okay. Bad news is you've got homework. Because there's always something for us to do. There's always something for us to dig into. We're going to take a moment and respond in worship. When we start responding in worship, this isn't just going to be a nice quiet song that we sing. This is a declaration. This is us saying that we believe. We believe that the promises of God are true. We believe that our faith will draw us closer to him. We believe that spending time with him is going to bring more richness and fullness in our life that we're able to share with others. As we prepare to respond, I'm going to ask you to stand. That would be now. (laughs) And I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to pray through that scripture that I've been reading today. And I want you to hear this as a way of being renewed and recharged. I want you to hear this as a declaration in what we believe and what we know Jesus has for us. So would you bow your heads with me? Lord God, we thank you so much for your power for your presence. Lord, we know that you're here with us, and we know that you see us when we're tired. God, we know you see us when we're worn out. Sometimes when we feel just burnt out on religion. God, we want to come to you. We want to get away with you. We want to recover our lives in you. Lord, show us how to take a real rest. Walk with us. Work with us. Teach us, Lord, how you do this. Let us learn the unforced rhythms of grace. God, we know you won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on us. We want to keep company with you so we can learn to live freely and lightly. And Lord, we believe this. God, we believe in you. We believe in your power. We believe in your presence. We give you the rest of this day, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.